0: You're listening to Strictly Business podcast with Lindsay Williams.
1: It's Wednesday, so it's time for Wayne on Wednesday. Wayne McCurry is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment in Johannesburg. Wayne, I'm just looking at my screen now, and it says it's the 30th of March. The first quarter is almost over. For goodness'
0: sake, yes. I mean, where, where did that go? That was quick. That was quick. And when you look at the opening balances and the closing balances, and ignore everything in between. Swear there wasn't a war going on. No,
1: no, no war, no rising interest rates, no rising inflation. Nothing. No, nothing. Except it's been swept under the carpet. But to be fair, we did say that if you look historically, most geopolitical events, unless it's something like the Second World War or whatever, uh, or something really serious, most of them are swept under the carpet, metaphorically speaking.
0: Yes. Yes. Very much. So they're not. They haven't got a long-term lasting effect on anything. Look, this is a little bit different to, let's say, the Balkan War or the Afghanistan War or the Gulf Wars, because there are, certainly for South Africa, there are more strategic exports, imports involved. Now, it's very interesting, actually, because South Africa as a country has benefited enormously from this war. a very simple a very simple statistic on coal we are big coal exporter if it wasn't for transnet we would be a bigger coal exporter but we are getting just on price as i said unfortunately not on volume but just on price we are earning as a country double what we're paying out extra on the oil price and that's just coal, that's not iron ore, that's not the PGMs, that's just coal. Yes. So as a, so you see it in the RAND, obviously. And, 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 and lucky enough, we'll see it, obviously, in our balance of payments and in government revenue. But as a consumer, you know, you and I don't, don't sell uh, coal and platinum group metals, we just buy oil, buy petrol. So it's very, very detrimental. This war is very detrimental to us as consumers, and that's just the one aspect. you also got food. Food inflation is clearly going up quite significantly. Other interesting facts, you know, when you listen to the – when you watch the foreign news and that, uh, the implications of this war is going to be a huge increase in the price of vegetable oil. You know, the, the price might go up, but South Africa actually doesn't need any, any imports of vegetable oil. We actually – produce enough here uh, ourselves right. um, we don't produce enough wheat so we've got to import wheat and obviously a lot of that wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine but we've already got the next year's supplies already in South Africa so when this war when there's some res- proper resolution on this war and the oil price drops and the coal price drops and all the PGMs drop etc cetera, etc cetera, as a country would su- surprisingly enough be worse off because a you know, lot of people ask me, why is the Rand strong? Well, that's the one reason I've been explaining. The second reason is in relation to other emerging markets, we're standing out as, you know, as the top pick almost, because no one's going to buy anything in Eastern Europe now. You know, countries like Turkey and that, they've got 60% inflation rate. So people are coming to South Africa and they're bringing the money in here because on a comparative basis, we're actually looking quite good.
1: I think the trick now is to have a look at what's happened and what's what's happened particularly to energy, which is the major driver and the major component of various... Commodity indices uh, Wayne and you can see Mm. that uh, Brent crude oil is up 81 to be precise 81.89 percent year-on-year So that's quite a lot you look at coal and it's up uh, 178.1 percent year year on year So what I think is going to be the trick here if you are a commodity stock investor You've got to say okay when the war calms down and when interest rates have risen or continue to rise and the, the world economy has, hasn't has suffered the shock that many people think it's going to um, or predict it's going to suffer, which commodities are going to do well and how will South Africa fare? It's a very, very complicated commodity basket we've got at
0: this time. Yeah, but look, when, this, when there is some sort of resolution on this war, commodity prices are coming down sharply. Mm. You know, you could see oil... Quite honestly, in a year's time, I wouldn't be surprised if oil is 80, if not a little bit lower than 80. It just wouldn't surprise me at all because there's no actual shortage of oil. Uh, PGMs, I mean, they will come off the high, especially palladium. I mean, platinum didn't really go up all that much. But PGM, the, the longer-term outlook still actually looks quite quite favourable. You know, coal might be enjoying an absolute bumper year. Um, you know, even if it does come off its highs because there's been no investment in coal whatsoever, and the transition to cleaner energy will happen, but it's taking a lot longer than what people initially anticipated. So there'll still be strong demand for coal for the next good couple of years, if not the next decade. Um, so coal should actually still be quite a good commodity to own. Gold, I'm not, I've never been keen on gold, so I don't even want to comment okay. on gold. But you know, so an iron ore, um global economic growth is clearly slowing down. And I think there's actually be some downward revisions to global economic growth, not just because of the war, because of the in- inflation and interest rate implications of this higher oil price, even though I think it is temporary. Um, so global growth is not entirely supportive of general commodities, you know, general industrial commodities.
1: If you're a government minister, Wouldn't you sit down with your team, with your fellow cabinet members, and say, what is South Africa good at? And you'd have to say, well... It's good at commodities because they have. we've been blessed with them. They're under the ground. It's an accident that we've got them here. And we're good Mm. at tourism. Now, I don't know about you, but I live in Europe and I can get on a train and in in two and a half hours I'm in Paris, a nice fast train, which has got a bar and a a comfortable seat and everything. There's no infrastructure in South Africa when it comes to public transport and especially not rail. And that whole rail thing about the... We haven't taken full advantage of this massive rally in Ooh, these in, the, in these in these bulk commodities. Why don't they just sit down yes. and say, "Where's the revenue going to come from?" Okay, commodities are cyclical, and these prices are not going to last, but they will come back again. But so let's, time, get fine, yeah. Yeah, let, let's get this rail thing. Yeah, let's get this let's get this thing sorted out. It just seems so but simple. Was to was exactly
0: the same. That was exactly the same in the last commodity cycle. Let's say leading up to two thousand and eight. Mm. Um, Remember the rand then strengthened in two thousand and two, wasn't it? Fifteen or sixteen, and it strengthened to six hundred and fifty on the back of the, the the China, you know, super cycle story at at the time, and we still couldn't export enough iron ore and coal, because of 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 railways, and I mean as we've spoken about before, and as I've said also said before, I've got first hand knowledge of this, experience of this. Yes, it is catastrophic the rail infrastructure, it is truly, along with ESKIM, one of the true disasters and failures of the South African government. I mean, there's one positive spinoff from the current state of Transnet is whoever comes in and takes it, because I think someone will eventually, when the government works out, they need the private sector. You've got nothing to start off with, so you've got no legacy systems. There's nothing there. So you could actually, you could actually institute very good systems, sort of from the word go, and actually be very competitive. But when it comes to to transporting passengers, and when it comes to transporting bulk goods, railways can beat road transport, absolute hands down, hands down.
1: It's my favourite mode of transport, Wayne, and I I can remember, this is a bad example, but um, it it does illustrate how bad the infrastructure is. I remember you used to be able to get something called the Blue Train, do you remember, from Johannesburg uh, to Cape Town? There was also a private company called Rovos Rail, owned by a chap called Rowan de I think his name is, and you used to be able to, to go there. Now... I don't think you can go directly from Johannesburg to Cape Town. You have to stop in some siding or something because of the deterioration of the, of the rails themselves yeah. and because they, it, now, it's all
0: stolen. As, hmm. Yeah, as far as I know, there's no more Joburg to Cape Town passenger service at all. The, the blue train stopped. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, where I got personal experience, I went on Rovos from Durban up to Johannesburg beginning of December. Yeah. So a couple of months. Whether we could still do it now, I don't know. But that you see the state of the infrastructure. I mean, to give you two quick examples. From Durban to Cato Ridge, which is fifty kilometres, you stopped forty-two times <coughs> to get permission, to get permission from the network operator Transnet's control room to use a little bit of track. Because obviously, in the Durban area, there's lots of uh, uh, a regional uh, passenger train. You know, what's it? Uh, all, you know transporting people because that that's still working and the reason why you've got to stop so many times is that the signaling system is non-existent the driver and the, the coach manager the train manager is phoning through to a control room on their cell phone to get permission to cross an intersection or go onto a new piece of track hmm. that's the state of affairs then we got to heidelberg at four o'clock in the morning and there we're sitting, and it turns out the overhead, uh, the overhead power for the engines between Heidelberg and Pretoria is out, and Rov was to send their diesel locomotives from Pretoria to come and pick us up in Heidelberg because the electric locos supplied by Transnet obviously couldn't work. And uh, I mean, just another simple comment: you go through any railway station, and we went through quite a few. And I'm not going to talk about the condition of the railway stations. There's not a single person there. They are deserted. There's not a single passenger. It is, they are absolutely deserted. We saw two other trains in three days use the main line between Johannesburg and. And Durban, two trains in
1: three days. It's the most efficient form of transport. It, it really is. I, yes. I, I'm sorry, especially with the state of the South African roads so, and the driving qualities so can, of certain South Africans. Yeah, yeah.
0: You can make, in other words, because there is the potential to make money, once the government gets their act together, a private sector consortium will come in and take over that infrastructure because you can make serious cash if you do this job properly.
1: I think the Chinese should come in, quite honestly, with their high-speed network that they've managed to put up in a matter of years, crisscrossing the whole country and transforming uh, the, the the way that people move around in China. Yeah. I think they because, should just uh, swallow their pride, South Africa, and say, "Okay, come in. How much do you want? Or you take yeah. you, know, you take 25 of the profits, whatever it is." But that, to me, would be a yeah. fast track way and, of doing and, it.
0: And, and and we will and you will eventually get that. It's also very interesting. Mm. You want to fly to um, Cape Town and back from Joburg or Durban and back from Joburg? Yes. There's no such thing as a low-cost airline anymore. It's only low-cost service. It's only low service. So what does it cost these days the then? the prices are through
1: the roof. Well, okay, so tell me, if you want
0: to, you have to go Cape to a meeting. Cape Town and back, yeah. back 4,500. Durban and back, two eight.
1: For a few hundred, uh, for a couple of hundred euros more, you can fly to Amsterdam from,
0: from Johannesburg for that. Yes. No, no, look, I mean, the the airliners, the airliners here are making a killing. And then yesterday, Bolo World came up with a trading update. They're making a killing on car hire. Car hire profitability is back to, it's not back to, it's way above pre COVID levels. So, I mean, new, new, new planes will come on stop because you cannot find it. You try and book a plane in the next week to Durban from Joburg. It's not happening. Every plane is full. So we were in Durban on last, last Friday. And we had a meeting planned for the morning. We were there for two days, so this is the last day. The meeting was planned for the morning, and it was unfortunately cancelled. But we knew this at half past seven, and our flight was only at five. So we thought, well, we'll catch an early flight. There was one ticket available, one way between Durban and Johannesburg, 4,500 Rand one way if you wanted to take that ticket. So guess what? We waited until five o'clock. So I mean the airliners in South Africa SEFE come when they're allowed to fly SEME are making a killing.
1: Yeah, but I also heard somebody saying that because of the pricing that you've you've just uh, described, that somebody said that oh our timber, all the shops have closed down, all the luxury shops, you know, for example, the luxury goods shops and and other other even bookshops have closed down simply because the the volume isn't there so they may be no, making, the volume's there
0: now is it is it back or uh, un, unquestionably the volumes there look i mean i didn't go into the luxury goods places but in Joburg airport and durban airport i didn't see a single close shop and i didn't go international maybe it's in, in the international side but there were no boarded up shops that i saw in cape in, in durban and uh,
1: I think yeah, it, I think it was international. Anyway, just one yeah. more thing about that the really rail will network. will be the case, yeah. Just one more thing about the rail network. This was about 10 years ago. It, the The, the malaise started a long, long time ago. I had a yes. meeting in Helen uh, Ziller's office with her, uh, a private meeting, and um, we were chatting away about things, and I said, oh, by the way, I was um, driving past, um, driving from Cork Bay to uh, to Simonstown, and I noticed that there was th- – th- th- that a because of the wind, uh, the weather conditions, sand had covered the line. And uh, mm. uh, sure enough, I, I checked and I couldn't take a train from Cork Bay to Simonstown, which I used to like to do. Um, yes, and, yeah. I go back, et and she didn't know this. So she phoned up her transport minister or the West, her Western Cape uh, transport person and said, what's going mm. on here? And she didn't know. And he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, you, you better find out. That's, that's the sort mm. of level of communication and lack of care yeah. for the the transport
0: system in this yeah. country, your country rather. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I drove down to Cape Town and back very recently, two weeks ago. And I, I drove mainly during the day so I could see everything. And the Joburg to Cape Town, the railway line follows the road. I didn't see a single train. Hmm. I saw one burnt, what looked like a burnt-out train sort of parking on the side of the railway track, but I didn't see a, a single functioning train. So, I mean, transport, uh, transnet employees, was the number 16,000? Because I know the minister went up in front of some parliamentary committee very recently and said of the total they employed, and I think it was 16,000, 4,000 were ghosts. So 20% of their employees didn't actually work there. They just got paid by transnet. <laughs> but putting that aside, <laughs> effectively, they should all be ghosts because there's I mean, other than Sanrol, and I'm not sure how Sanrol and Transnet interact, but anyway, Transnet, they've only got two lines, eh? And that's the coal line and the iron ore line. That's it.
1: Okay, it's a very sad situation. Wayne, how's your quarter been?
0: No, it's been, it's been all right. Been caught by a nice past process, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that big fall off, we didn't anticipate that happening. So we were a little bit caught. We're not the only ones, but make no mistake, we were a little bit caught by that fall. I mean, I think these shares are dirt cheap now at these sort of levels. But yeah, so that's, that that caught us. Our banking exposure has been too wonderful for words because we've been positive on banks for a long time, and they have properly kicked bump quite frankly, yes. over the last while. They've done extremely well. And we're going to get fat dividends over the next six months to a year from banks because they're all seriously over-provisioned. And no one, I suppose, no, one, no bank has been brave enough yet to pay out the special dividend. But I think that's coming. So we're going to get nice dividends. And earnings growth, even if interest rates go up, but interest rates are probably going to go up another 2.5%, maybe even 3% in total in South Africa even if they go up and economic growth slows down, the combination of unwinding the bad debt provisions and banks initially make money in a rising interest rate environment because they can reprice our mortgage bonds stroke overdraft stroke loans immediately, but their funding base only reprices over a long period of time. So they actually make money initially. Hey, you got, you got guaranteed reasonable earnings growth from the banks for the next year or two i mean it's 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 virtually in the bag. It doesn't. It almost doesn't even matter what the underlying economy does.
1: No, I think as interest rates rise, of course they they widen their margins between borrowing and lending. I mean, if, if yes. interest rates are, for example, yes. 025 percent, you can't you can't have a a, a a gap between the borrowing and lending of one and a half percent. But as interest rates rise, then it becomes
0: more acceptable. So yeah. I think margins do go up as well. Maybe yeah, margins go up, but I mean, yeah. but also as as I said, they can. When rates go up, they can reprice their debtors immediately, but their creditors are longer duration, so they're only repriced over a time period. So, automatically, your margins go up quite nicely, in fact. Okay, so we're looking forward to the second quarter, and the
1: second quarter, of course, kicks off on Friday, uh, April the 1st, but then after that, we get a, a, a whole raft, a whole spate, Of holidays in South Africa, we've got. I think Good Friday is April the fifteenth, so there's that, and then there's Easter Monday. Uh, Then after that, there's one on the twenty seventh, and then there's May the first as well. Yeah, Yeah. so it's it's going into that funny period, and then June the sixteenth, and then sell in May and go away, of course. Which, of course, that's that's
0: fiction. But it's And this year mm. it might work because this year it coincides with rising interest rates.
1: All right, well, we'll look the markets to
0: in, forget, forget, forget the war. Mm. Markets ignoring this at the moment. Yeah, it's just ignoring this.
1: Yeah, I think it's all, um, it's all, it's all priced in. The initial shock was there, but uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's. It, 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 well, obviously, there's good reason for it to be brushed aside, but you can't brush aside the humanitarian uh, aspect of the war, but you can now, brush aside as the far economic as the West, aspect. Far as the
0: markets are
1: yeah. No, exactly. The markets yeah. really don't care about that sort of thing. Wayne, um, I was watching a cooking program on the BBC the other day and this chap was making a chili con carne. Now I know you like chili con carne. Well, I I, I yes. think you do. Um, yes. And it would normally be made with mince, but this chap bought as a side of brisket and chopped it up into decent sized chunks. Okay, browned the brisket, added cumin seeds, coriander seeds, chilies, Obviously, lots of uh, red onion, sliced red onion, and mixed it all up for a bit, cooked it for, you know, four or five minutes to get it all nice and brown and all the flavours together. Then added some roughly chopped big uh, tomatoes, like those beefsteak tomatoes, chopped them all up, Mm. bung those in as well, a little bit of tomato paste, and um, uh, got that going as well, and then put in uh, maybe half a pint, no, maybe a pint of, uh, of beef stock, and in a heavy-bottomed pan, pot, then put that pot into the oven and cooked it at 170 degrees for three hours. Now, I didn't use brisket, but I did have some wild boar which had been chopped up for me yes. by a local hunter and and his butcher, and I used that instead and oh my goodness me this thing was so, so tender after after 3 hours i mean you would you would have died for this it was absolutely yeah, sensational it delicious eh? no, it really it was does. i mean
0: i i i had i went to go see a very uh, old friend of long standing of mine he's not he's a little bit older than me but that he doesn't mean he's old mm-hmm. uh, he's he's now retired and he's taken a he's bought a house on a like a game reserve game farm is no big five, but you know there are uh, quite a bit of game there, but nothing, nothing dangerous. Um, out near Bella Bella, and went there for the weekend, and we had surprisingly enough, because I don't do it often, because I've become lazy now that I've got gas process, We had a good old-fashioned, traditional barai with a fire and charcoal, and yeah, you know, it was outstanding we had lamb chops on there with a little bit of salt and pepper nothing fancy Mm -hmm. some bourrevos and then we did a very nice crunchy salad with balsamic, balsamic dressing on it and we had a potato bake that was slightly you know five minutes overcooked which is exactly how I like it because then the top cheese on the top is nice and really crunchy and crispy and and it was delicious and It was a proper African day. the The sky was clear. The sun went down. We watched the most spectacular red sunset. Uh, And I mean, in Bella Bella on this game farm, there's no light pollution whatsoever. So you see the stars. And we sat outside, and it was actually really nice. It was very pleasant
1: that's one thing you don't get here uh it, it, well maybe a little bit where i am because i'm away from urban centers but i remember the first the the, the best sky i ever saw was i went to the i was lucky enough to stay at um a lodge that I th- at the time was owned by Anglo-American. It may still be owned by the Oppenheimer family, I don't know, called Swalu in the, in the Kalahari because uh, I was there covering, as a journalist, the release the, of their wild dogs that, they, that, that they'd been that reintroducing. The oh, it was the skyway. And it's, it's almost overwhelming. Yeah. You know, you would lie I down. I think they've
0: still got that. Yeah, it's I think extraordinary. Still got it, I, I, I went there well, probably 15 years ago, but they were still owned by the Oppenheimers is spectacular
1: okay we digress wayne thanks very much for your time as always wayne mccurry is a portfolio manager at fmb wealth and investment and he will be back with me next week for another wayne on wednesday the views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of lindsey williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy position